This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I am a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. With Christmas and the New Year approaching. I imagine that many of you are taking stock of your lives right now, and looking at how far you've come in achieving your life ambitions and that vaunted goal of financial freedom. Financial freedom for most people is about having a portfolio of assets that generates a reliable stream of income. So, in this podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to look at the topic of investing in dividend-yielding stocks and real estate investment trusts or REITs, as they're commonly called. I will look into why high-dividend stocks are so popular in Singapore and explain why Singtel is becoming an unreliable dividend play and which stocks might be a good alternative. I will also offer my own simple perspective on how to invest in REITs. Let me begin with an observation that I think everyone will agree with. Singapore investors love dividends, and the Singapore market is a dividend haven of sorts in this region. The Straits Times Index, as at the end of November, offered a dividend yield of about 4%. That's the highest yield in this region. And it's all the more remarkable coming after a more than 15% jump in the STI during the month of November. But dividend yields alone don't tell the whole story. To understand how important dividends are to investors in Singapore, you need to analyze the total return that investors get from owning Singapore stocks. According to data from Bloomberg, the SDI delivered a total return of almost 55% during the 10-year period from the end of 2009 to the end of 2019, before COVID-19 triggered all the turbulence that we've experienced this year. That's 55% total return over 10 years with dividends reinvested. Now, if an investor were to have just pocketed the dividends instead of reinvesting them, the SCI would have delivered a somewhat lower total return of about 47% over that same 10-year period. But what if dividend income were disregarded altogether? Well, the raw price change in the SCI over that 10-year period was just over 11%. So, loosely speaking, the total return for the SCI during the 10-year period was somewhere between 47% and 55%, depending on what you did with your dividends, with capital gains contributing upwards of one-fifth or 20% of that total return. Or, to put it another way, dividends contributed as much as 80% of the STI's total return over the 10-year period from the end of 2009 to the end of 2019. The point of this is that Singapore investors love dividends for a good reason. They love dividends because dividends form the bulk of the total return they get from owning local stocks. So, is it a good thing that dividends account for such a large proportion of the total return in Singapore? That's a hard question to answer with a simple yes or no. Certainly, compared to US stocks, it seems unusual that dividends are such a big proportion of total returns here in Singapore. When I did the same exercise with the S&P 500 index, I found that only about one quarter of its total return was contributed by dividends, while three quarters came from capital gains. I should point out, however, that the total return for the S&P 500 over the 10-year period in question was about 256%, 
which is nearly five times the total return for the SDI. As I discussed in my previous Mark to Market podcast episode, the Singapore market has underperformed over the past decade for a variety of reasons. But despite their share prices going nowhere, many of Singapore's leading companies, being in decent financial shape, have remained reasonably good dividend payers. So, is it a good thing or a bad thing that dividends are such a big deal in Singapore? In my view, if you are an investor, you should be asking the following question instead. Which companies will be able to sustain and increase their dividends, and which companies will not? The key here is understanding what companies do with a portion of their earnings not paid out as dividends. In theory, retained earnings go into renewing and expanding a company's business. It goes towards replacing equipment and machinery, or acquiring a supplier or a competitor, and over time, if it's done right, adds to the market capitalization of that company. But some companies make better use of their retained earnings than others, and recognizing the signs of success or failure in this area is the key to separating the winners from the losers. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the BT Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my analysis and insights on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. Now that I've set out the big picture and context, one example of a company that's clearly losing its status as a reliable dividend-paying stock is Singtel. Many of you might not agree with me on this because the stock has rallied strongly since the beginning of December 2020, partly because it has teamed up with Grab to develop one of Singapore's new digital banks. But Singtel's problems run deep, in my view. Singtel has invested heavily over the years to deliver ever faster mobile internet access to its customers, but it has faced intense price competition. It has also poured money into all sorts of digital investments, none of which have really paid off in a big way. In fact, Singtel now generates less earnings than it did a decade ago, while its balance sheet is significantly more leveraged than it was ten years ago. And this is now actually affecting. Singtel's ability to pay dividends. Singtel nearly halved its final dividend for its financial year to March 2020. This resulted in its total dividend for FY 2020 falling to 12.25 cents per share, which was 30 percent lower than the previous year. And for the first half of FY 2021, Singtel has cut its dividend again. It declared an interim dividend of only 5.1 cents per share, which is 25 percent lower than the previous interim dividend. It might not seem like it now, but these dividend cuts, unless they are quickly restored, which seems very unlikely to me, could have a very major impact on Singtel's shareholders. Looking back again at the ten-year period from the end of 2009 to the end of 2019, before COVID-19 struck, Singtel delivered a total return of just over 80 percent on a dividend-reinvested basis, but only one tenth of that return was the result of share price appreciation. The other nine tenths came from its dividend payouts. Now, many investors may still want to own Singtel shares. Some will be excited about the potential of its digital bank. Some might also like the fact that Singtel has a lot of valuable assets on its book. In particular, it owns associate stakes in seven public listed companies around the region, which, by some estimates, are worth more than its entire market capitalization. But investors who are looking for a reliable dividend-paying stock really should look elsewhere. So, where should dividend-oriented investors look for opportunity in the local market? 
One obvious group of stocks is the banks, DBS, OCBC, and UOB. In July 2020, during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the banks were ordered by MAS to cap their dividends for FY 2020 at 60% of what they paid for FY 2019. The idea was to ensure that the banks preserved their capital to cope with increased bad loans and also to support borrowers in need of credit. Now, the banks have naturally suffered a dip in profitability in 2020, but they do not appear to have been all that badly affected by the COVID-19 fallout. In fact, their third quarter financial numbers were stronger than analysts expected. As we get into 2021, the operating backdrop for the banks should continue improving, with reduced incidence of bad loans and stronger demand for funding. Analysts are expecting to see return on equity at all three banks gradually climb back into the double-digit territory from 2021 onwards. And, as the MAS-imposed caps are lifted in 2021, it is possible that dividend payouts by all three banks will get a strong boost. So how much of their total return comes from dividends? In the case of DBS, it is significantly less than the STI. For the 10-year period from the end of 2009 to the end of 2019, shareholders of DBS would have enjoyed a total return of 148%, with share price appreciation and dividends contributing almost equally. Now, no discussion about dividends and income investing would be complete without a quick look at the REITs. Most people will already be familiar with these instruments and the fact that they've largely delivered very good returns over the past decade. In fact, the leading REITs in Singapore have performed better than stocks. As a result of their growing popularity, six of the 30 components of the STI are now REITs. The most recent addition is Keppel DC REIT, which has climbed some 32% since the beginning of 2020. The STI itself is down more than 12% year-to-date. The most important thing to remember with REITs is that they all carry some amount of gearing in order to boost their yields. REITs are also required to pay out at least 90% of their distributable income in order to reap tax benefits. So they typically do not have much retained earnings with which to acquire new assets and expand their portfolio. Instead, they have to keep tapping the market for capital. If I've learned anything about REITs, it is that investors should stick with the ones that trade well in the market and that are able to raise funds whenever they need to make acquisitions of good quality assets on terms that would be immediately accretive to their distributions per unit. The reason is that it is really only in that situation that your interests and the interests of the manager would be completely aligned. You would both want to see the REIT raise money and expand. It's very tempting as an investor to take a chance on REITs that have underperformed or that are trading at very high yields or at steep discounts to their book value, in the hope that some of the assets will be sold to realize value. But REIT managers are hardwired to enlarge their asset portfolio because that's what drives their fee income. And they will resist any proposal that involves shrinking the asset base with all manner of plausible-sounding excuses. Over the last few months, unit holders of Sabana REIT have been battling to scupper a merger proposal that would have resulted in it being acquired by ESR REIT at a steep discount to its book value. They managed to thwart the deal after a very tough fight, but they still face the difficult task of getting the manager to address the steep undervaluation of Sabana REIT's units in the market. There is potentially a lot of value that can be unlocked, but it is a very arduous and uncertain process. So I would just like to leave you with this thought. As an investor, 
it is far better to focus on REITs that are trading well in the market and that have a strong sponsor, like Capital Land or Maple Tree or Keppel, that is motivated to steer it towards good, solid yield accretive acquisitions. That's it for this second episode of Mark to Market. My name is Ben Paul, and I am a senior correspondent at the Business Times. You can follow my Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That was an SBH podcast by the Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times, the Business Times, and Money FM eighty nine point three. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.